On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, I'm super smart and humble too, just ask me. You're going to hear Pastor Ben get himself fired live on the air, and why did they take the home button off of my iPhone? It's episode three. Turn it up! Welcome to Hungry for Wisdom. This is the podcast for people who want to know what God knows. He hasn't told us everything, but man, he has told us a lot. I'm Dustin, pastor at Grace and Truth. If you want to know what God knows, let's dig in. And today's episode is dedicated to a eulogy for the home button on the iPhone. I'm dead serious about this. Pastor Ben, you told me when I got, okay, so backstory guys, I upgraded the iPhone. I got the free upgrade thing. I mean, they say free and then they stick you 17 different ways, right? But it was time to get a new phone. So, okay, I, you, you get the, the new phone, no home button. And I'm like, why? And so I, I was complaining to you about it and you told me you're going to grow to like it. It'll take you a couple of weeks. You'll get used to it. It's been a couple of weeks. I'm not used to it. I want my home button back. And I just feel that they have gotten too clever for my own good. Justify your position. Why is it better to not have a home button on the iPhone? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll kindly step off your front lawn and... Um, <laughs> so, you young kids over here and your no home button phones. Uh, I, I, look, I, I'm a, I, I don't like my technology changing either. In fact, I usually I hate the first two or three days that Apple changes their operating system and things are changed and settings are different. But I, for me... Uh, I got used to not having the to not having the home button, and that just that thumb swipe up seems to work for me. So all I, I all I know. hear is postmodernism right now. What's true for me may not be true for you. I reject wholeheartedly. Your mileage the may vary, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So we got uh, Pastor Ben, the uh, the bearded beaver, Bishop Benjamin, the bearded beaver. Too oh much? My. To, to Dr. Seuss? Maybe just a, a scout. All right. Ben's with us as per the usual. We also got a special guest in studio live, my dog, Pastor Kellen Ballou. How you doing, man? What I'm up? doing great. Good, good. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Kellen, this is your first time uh, co-hosting a podcast with us, so we're going to do, uh, do a Proverbs devotion. We just want to, you know, since we're hungry for wisdom, that's the name of the show, uh, we're going to take a look at the book of Proverbs. Today, we are going to be in Proverbs 3, verses 7. And eight. Here we go. Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. One of the fastest ways to get everybody to think that you're dumb is to tell them you're smart. And we all kind of know this naturally, right? It's like nobody has any respect for the guy that touts his own intellect. And, you know, it's, it's tough in this area, too, because we got a lot of smart people in the Tri-Cities. And the guys you respect are the guys that don't tell you how many degrees they actually have. It's like you get to know somebody, and then a year later, it's like, oh, he's got more degrees than a thermometer. He could have told me that he spent 20 years of his life reading and getting smarter than me, but instead he was just sitting there being all super humble. But then we like him more. I was once at a um, guitar demo which, the, you know, the, the music shops will put this stuff on. They'll bring in somebody that's famous or whatever, and uh, they'll have them, like, demo guitars as a, as a promo type of thing. So it winds up being a free concert, right? So I went to this one down at the Red Lion with Michelangelo Badio. You know Michelangelo Badio? Not no? at all. Yeah, most people don't. And he would say that's a travesty because he's full of himself. So he was a guitar player for a band called Nitro back in the 90s, and he showed up, and Micah was there, and he, he was like, dude, I is this a Will Ferrell skit? Who is this guy? He was like the old pot-bellied rock star with the acid-washed jeans that were way too tight and, you know, still had the crazy hair. And he thought he was still a rock star. It was really sad. And so 
we all showed up because we respected his guitar playing and we didn't know anything about him as a person, but he's, he's one of the classic speed demons, right? So it's just like, like that's, that's his, his playing. Um, name the movie, name the movie Wayne's world. Okay. So we, we went there cause we respected his guitar playing, but we left not respecting his guitar playing or him as a human because he was so like full of himself. He was wise in his own eyes. He kept telling us how smart he is, how creative he is, how he was the guy that innovated this and that, which if you know music history, most of the stuff he claimed for himself wasn't even true. And so we, we when God, when God hears us brag about how smart we are, it's, it's a, there's a similar level of annoyance in the scriptures talking about the person who's wise in his own eyes, but it goes deeper than that because for God, it's on a deeper level. When we claim wisdom, we don't have God isn't just annoyed. He isn't just rolling his eyes. He sees it as a personal rejection of himself. What God sees there is pride, right? Now on some level, that's obvious. The person that's wise in his own eyes, he's also full of himself, but look at the very next line. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. So God sees these two things as opposites. Two, two objects can't occupy the same space here. Being wise in your own eyes means you are in some way crowding out the fear of Yahweh, fear of the Lord, and in some way you are exposing yourself to evil. So having a biblical fear of God and running from evil are two things that God is very much in favor of, right? A fear of God and running away from evil. He wrote Proverbs and you know many other books of the Bible about exactly this. Here's how you fear God. Here's how you run away from evil. You could say that this is actually the point of all wisdom literature. If you look at Solomon, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And at the end of it, he says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. So you can't be in right relationship with God and be a know-it-all. There's, there's going to be an inverse relationship where the more of one you have, the less of the other you're going to have. And if you're totally one, you're, you're completely absent the other. You can't be in perfectly right relationship with God and be a know-it-all. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And you can't have a high degree of personal holiness and be a know-it-all, at least not over the long haul. At some point, you will trust in your own understanding and it will fail you. Mm. Right? It'll lead you into sin, and your personal holiness will be uh, chipped away at by your own trust and your own wisdom and your plans. So that's point one. Don't be a cocky jerk. Right? Like that's, that's basically what Solomon's saying there. God doesn't like it, and he won't bless it. But then comes verse 8, and it tells us that if we have some humility, God gives us blessings. So verse 8, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So to fear the Lord and to run away from evil has physical benefits as well as emotional ones. And I mentioned emotional ones because I think that what the, that's what the refreshment of the, the bones is talking about. I don't think he's talking about our calcium levels, right? I think he, he means living in the fear of the Lord brings a type of refreshment that goes deep, straight to the core of who you are. And this makes a lot of sense. When you talk to somebody who's wrapped up in some kind of like chemical abuse or whatever, I mean, Kellen, you worked at, uh, at a, a mission for a lot of years and you were dealing constantly with people who just some chemical had a hold of them, right? And they say, I am totally in control of this, man. I can quit whenever I want. I'm functional. It's fine. It fits in this little box in my life and it's okay. And they're clearly not in control of it. They are wise in their own eyes and it is killing their body. And if they were to listen to the Lord, it would be good for them body and soul. So guys that are lazy are physically and emotionally miserable. They may not be addicts, but 
you know, if they're, if they refuse to be diligent in their work, then they don't repent and go to work. Then their bodies are weak, which means they don't feel good, which leads to, you know, physical, uh, uh, the physical leads to emotional drags. And then they don't feel good about themselves and all this kind of stuff. And it's amazing sometimes how much people that think they're depressed are just lazy. Now there is such a thing as depression and it's a legit thing, but not everybody who thinks they're depressed is depressed. Sometimes they're just losers. And it's like, bro, your life wouldn't suck half as bad as you think it did if you just quit telling yourself that it's true. And I'm not getting into the whole change your mind, change your life thing. Like, if you just speak positive words out into the universe and the universe will give you positive stuff back, bro. It's not like that. It's just like, you know, you are the most important preacher in your life. And if you consider yourself wise, you think you got a handle on it. Well, you're not going to enjoy the the results of that. And so God's leading us a, a different way. I'll give you an example. I hate working out. I hate it. I don't enjoy it. Do I enjoy it? No, I do not. But my doctor told me because of this weird back thing I had a while ago that like genetically, he said, you've inherited this situation and you're either going to work out or you are going to be done wrestling with your kids and forget about wrestling with your grandkids. So guess what I do now in the mornings? I work out. I hate it. I don't like it. Running to me is a, like, I don't believe in purgatory because I'm not a Catholic, but if I did, I would just imagine that it was running all the time. I hate it, but I got to do it because after he told me that, 1 Corinthians 9 came across my mind. And in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul says that he worked out in order to be more capable of doing the ministry that God had called him to. He said, I discipline my body as an athlete so that after having preached, I won't be disqualified. So he beat his body into submission. And after that, you know, when, when you do that to yourself, you feel better, you think better, you, you, you know, by the way, I have more energy for my kids when I get home at the end of the day, and I can do better ministry from a few different angles than I did before. So there are benefits to, to obedience to God in the physical world when we obey spiritual principles, right? It's not a one-to-one correlation. You don't do this, therefore God does that. But when you walk God's way, generally, there are benefits that come your way more often than they would otherwise. And again, this is not a promise that applies in every situation. This does not mean that you're never going to be sick or injured. It means that generally, the way God set up the world is that having faith in him and acting accordingly is the key to whatever blessing he has made available to you in every area of life. He has not made all blessings available to you, but the ones that he has placed in front of you, you cannot grab if you're a cocky jerk and a know-it-all. Interesting thing, you know, um, in, uh, in Proverbs 3 here, in this section of it, verses 1 through 12, if you, if you go through that, you look at the odd verses. The odd verses show the obligation of the human partner in the covenant, I guess you could say. In the God-human relationship, the odd verses show the human responsibility. The even verses show the uh, the response that God will likely have to this, right? So it just bounces back and forth. You do this, God will tend to do that, all things being equal. You do this, God will tend to do that unless he's doing something different. But it gives you that principle of just the back and forth. So you can look at the odds and the evens and just kind of see how God has set the system up in Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. But there's a lot more to say about that. We'll save it for the next episode. We're going to move on to some thises and thats, and we have the great privilege, in fact, the honor, Pastor Ben, of having Kellen with us. Now, Kellen, why don't you just give us an intro, man? Tell us who you are. Um, how did you come across the terrible misfortune of meeting those at Grace and Truth and getting your uh, future entangled with us? What happened, and how can we pray for you in that regard? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Sonny. I call him Sonny. Sonny boy, Dustin, because he loves me so much. I have a nickname. Yeah, I'll make this quick. So I'm 38. I'm a new pastor, probably a year and a half into it on uh, as an independent church. Met Sonny through pro-life ministry and working at a homeless shelter for years, sensing God was calling me to preach and pastor. 
left my job a week later. You called me. Didn't tell anybody, but I told my wife I was planning on praying and walking through Benton City because I think God's calling me there. You called me a week later and said, hey, we're planning a church in Benton City. And I just started busting up. I couldn't. And you didn't even ask me about that. I laughed for probably 30 seconds. Yeah, no, it was true. It was it was a little uncomfortable. I was wondering if you were drunk or possessed or both. <laughs> and I'm I like, was neither. This giggly fella, isn't he? I mean, because we had just met each other because we were, yeah, so we were at this pro-life event. We were both speakers. I was one of the, the what would you call them, the... Uh, down card guys. And then you were kind of the keynote speaker at the end of that. And I was like, this guy knows the gospel. How about that? So yeah, that's why I called you. Yeah. Amen. So it's been good. It's been good to get to know you and amen. Word up. All right. So for the, this is and that's today, we're just going to hit some uh, pastoral questions. Dude, the list of these is getting long. I got a, I got a list in the office of stuff to hit. That's just like, Man, and, and they're they're all over the place, too. I remember hearing R.C. Sproul one time whining about, every time we do these Q&As, man, we get the same questions. And I was like, then stop. Like, they're all recorded, you know? But he said, you're going to get questions about the sovereignty of God. You're going to get questions about the wrath of God and all this stuff. So far, now we're only like, what, 25 episodes in. So far, I have not felt that way. We've gotten questions from all over the map, and they just keep coming in. So uh, we got a few of them today. Kellen, I, I don't know if you got questions that you have brought from uh, from your ministry context. We can get into that, too. How about we do this? How about you start us out with one, Pastor Ben? Kellen, we can get into anything you want, and we'll just ping pong it. Works for me. Boom. That's the nice thing about not having a radio show. We don't have to keep with a, a structure. We can just make it up. Yep. All right. So for our this is and that's, uh, we've got our first question. Uh, is this the one that's going to get me fired? I think so. Is, oh, okay. that, is that the, the age of the earth one? Yeah, Pastor yeah, yeah, Ray, yeah. would you please give your take on the age of the earth? Yeah. So we got the age of the earth question and we, we kicked it around for a little while. And I, I told you my controversial, uh, you know, stance on that. And I guess uh, they were, I, I guess I talked too much because we left them hanging and they were like, well, I want to know what Pastor Ben thinks. So oh. teach me something, teacher. Oh, Teach you. Okay, so here about this. I'll, I'll, Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'll submit this in all humility. Uh, first of all, recognizing that I am, I don't sit over the word of God. The word of God sits over me. Preach. So there we go. So um, probably where I stand on the age of the earth is really simple. I'm a, I'm a young age of the earth. I mm-hmm. would say probably um, sub 10,000 years or okay. so. And that's, uh, so that would be your traditional six-day creationist. Um, yeah. That is... A, uh, that is a that is a, a, a doctrinal stance that I hold to personally and would not deny fellowship with somebody who who holds to some variants of that I might have there might be some good tense conversations like for example if if, if I don't believe that an actual atom you know what I, I do believe that an actual atom was created and formed by God that he did have the breath of God breathed into him and yeah. that and that from him came Eve you know the from him came uh, came the woman but so that's all Genesis chapters, uh, well, really Genesis chapters one and two. Um, and then, um, and so I do hold to that number of reasons why, first of all, um, I, I let the scriptures speak over me. So as I look at that, I go, okay, this is how God told us he created the planet. Now, now yeah. there's a, there's an, I understand that even in those, even in that six day creationist, um, take that there is an awful lot of poetic language happening in Genesis chapters one and two. So that's why I'm not like, okay, if you don't believe this, then you're, you know, not a brother. Um, but I, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, such as the gentleman sitting across the table from me. <laughs> so, uh, so in all of that, I, I, I understand there's poetic language going on. I know there's, for example, I believe that we talked previously and I'm trying to remember exactly. I believe Dustin, you're more of kind of the 
either the dage or gap. Is that I'm, I'm a gap theory guy. Yeah. yeah. So there's there is the there is and the again day. tentatively and with all humility. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently in the gap theory camp. Yeah. Yeah. So in in that and and gap theory basically is there's a gap between Genesis chapter one verse one and mm-hmm. verse. Yep. Two, right? There's a, a long gap there. And that's where... Or an un, age, an, a gap of unknown time. Exactly. And so so where, where I look at some, some folks might say, well, you know, day one, day two, day three, where God calls those out, that that's an age, an age of. And and I'm, I'm not... I, I, it doesn't seem to fit with what I understand in the era of uh, one or the era of two. I don't, I don't see that in the scriptures. It seems to be a label attached to a day, day one. Yeah. Day two. Yeah. So well, you got morning, you got evening, you yep, got a day. What's exactly. so complicated so, about it? So I'm you. like, uh, so from that standpoint, as I, as I listen to the scriptures, I go, okay, that's great. I see where, where Jesus makes reference to the man and the woman. God therefore made men and woman. There's a, there's a making there. Now is, is it possible that, that, you know, Jesus, that being the one that made, has has a, has a different perspective, but he's communicating that to these people who understand the Hebrew Scriptures, and he's communicating to them in a particular way. Yeah, but I, I'm much more inclined to the simpler. I, I'm an Occam, Occam's razor kind of guy. You know, mm-hmm. the simplest is the answer. And so when Paul refers to death came through Adam and life comes through Jesus, he's referring to an actual Adam. That's where even our whole understanding of homartiology, the sin, you know, where does that come? Original sin, where does it come from? It's it's not coming from some amorphous group of pre uh, pre um, hominid, you know, pre hominid uh, creatures right. that evolved, and that's where we get sin. No, this came from a from a, a physical Adam who and a, a physical Eve who rebelled against God. I think those are important aspects of it. So I'm a six day creationist, but again, I hold those terms loosely both from the standpoint of my ignorance of the Hebrew language but also of of Hebrew Hebrew poetry and stuff like that I understand there's good and strong arguments and so I wouldn't deny fellowship if if someone were to say well I don't think God created the earth at all <laughs> I, I would say well I think we might have some issues there but yeah so that's kind of where I would say the age of the earth is yeah and I think that uh, the most important thing to plant your flag on is exactly where you planted your flag and I think that's really important because you're one thing that you're really good at is uh, among the many by the way when, and I'm not I'm not just screwing around but like I'm one, not getting fired this is awesome guys yeah. <laughs> you're hearing this on the podcast yeah 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 the, the day is young all right it's, Patience, young man. Uh, no, but one of the things you're really good at is is uh, differentiating between primary and secondary issues, and then tertiary, and I don't know what comes after tertiary. Quadrinary? Quintinary? We're making words up. Yeah. You're really good at distinguishing those things, and like it's, it's, a, it's much closer to a primary issue to say, was there a literal atom? And the reason for that is because in Romans 5, among other places, you know, it, it, it the, the gospel message itself seems to kind of hinge on that. In other words, if you don't believe that, I'm not saying you don't believe the gospel. I'm just saying you can't account for the New Testament's explanation of the gospel. So like in Romans 5, it says, you know, through a man came sin, therefore through a man comes the, the solution to sin, right? And, and sin came into the world and death through sin. So if you've got a metaphorical Adam or, you know, an in, in evolved homo sapien with a whole bunch of predecessors on the timeline, then... How is it that that a man was the representative? Like, where did that start? We're not given that information because I don't think the Bible really leaves room for that question. And then where he says that sin came into the world and death through sin, if you, an evolutionary process involves death, right? So like a lot of it. 
And so if you've got death before you've got sin, then Romans 5 is kind of like nonsense. So that's, mm. that's a much more important issue than, well, what's he really poetically cramming into the word yom? It, that argument drives me nuts. Like, yom means day. It means day. It always means day. No, it doesn't. That's not the way language works. Stop yeah. it. And, you know, my... My uh, my pastors that and, and leaders that I was raised with that were you know we were staunchly young earth guys it was like like that was kind of the the core argument because it was simple enough to grab onto yom means day and I've come to think like I agree with you but not for that reason that's a horrible argument so I, I love the way that you're differentiating between primary and secondary issues mad props no oh, thank you where are you at Kellen well. The only thing I would add, because I, I, you guys pretty much covered it, is if there's any unbelievers listening to this podcast, when they say Adam, we're talking about A-D-A-M, not A-T-O-M. Oh, right. You, well, because you guys are talking about scientific terms, so I just... God did I'll, make Adams, A-T-O-M-S. Yes. Yeah. The he atoms, spoke and the, they appeared. The atomic structure. <laughs> and he made Adam, which, by the way, is just a Hebrew word for man, right? So Adam is the... Uh, the he is the representation of all mankind, outside of Christ. And then Christ in, in Romans 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15 is the new Adam. So he literally makes the claim that he gets to undo and has undone on the cross and by proof of his resurrection, he's undone what the original Adam did. So yeah, original Adam, very, very important in Christian doctrine. I think that to go, um, you know, there are some people that, that try and sort of squishify that in order to make room for an evolutionary process in science. I, you know, really, really smart and Christ-loving people try and marry those things together in their head. I think it's important for folks listening, if you're if you're in that process where it's like, yeah, but we have to have room for these things that we know scientifically are the case. If you, if you read history, science tends to catch up with the Bible, okay? So we're mid-process on some of this stuff. I would believe what the Bible clearly affirms and then let science catch up there, even if it's in a few hundred years. It's all right, you know? You're not, you're not um, you know, you're, you're not further away from God for not having these answers. It's okay to have some question marks in your head. But let's go with what the Bible cl- says clearly and then go from there. I like it. That's a well-thought-out right. answer. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, so for our next um, this is and that would be uh, when does the conversation cross the line into gossip? I just want to say that the person that asked this question is a bad human being. Dope. Yeah, ugly the 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 pants that she wore on Sunday made her butt look big, terrible. No, I'm gossiping. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. Do I, I need to rebuke you? <laughs> <laughs> no, this one, this one actually was uh, was my question because I was um, I put that one on the list uh, a long time ago because I was talking to somebody that was like, I feel like I've gossiped, and I was trying to say like, no, you you actually haven't. Like what what you were doing there was not gossip, but her conscience was pricked, and so um, I was you know I was just sorting through it, and I said, you know what, I'm going to ask this question on the podcast and kick it around with the guys. Since I got two pastors here, rather than just one, maybe we could scrounge up a little extra wisdom. So anyhow, when does the conversation turn into gossip? Guiding principles. um, This one's always going to get brought out in gossip conversations. Matthew 7, right? Judge not lest ye yourself be judged. So there is a point where we're just crossing into judgmentalism, which I love my my son said it on, uh, on Saturday. I said, man, you sound kind of, uh, I said to my daughter, you sound kind of judgmental about what you're talking about. And he pipes in, he goes, she's not being judgmental. She's being judge vocal. (laughs) Whoa, that's awesome. Wordsmithing at a young age. So yeah, judging somebody I've defined before as something like this, um, making a pronouncement about their value. Agreed. 
Okay, it's not the same thing as evaluating their conduct. Mm-hmm. It's not the same thing as as holding to what God has said about morals and ethics and things like that. It's making a pronouncement about their value, their value in the world, their value in front of God, something like that. It's passing a final gavel dropping authoritative um, declaration about their value or their character. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's one way we we can't do that. If we're doing that without somebody in the room, that's gossip. We would all agree with that. Yeah. Okay. What else we got? Well, I think that if it, like, for example, let's say, for example, you and I are having a conversation I'm about Kellen, right? And we're talking, we're talking about, about Kellen. We're talking about Kellen. Kellen is not in the room. Yeah. And, and we're, we're discussing aspects, even difficult aspects of his ministry. And we're trying to discern how we can best, how we can best come alongside him, mm-hmm. right? So he's not in the room. We're making evaluations. Yeah. We're, ma- we're even making ma- maybe important, we're having an important discussion about maybe how we can come alongside him. That would not be gossip because, first of all, the intention is to come alongside. The intention is to to care for. Yep. The intention is not for us to, like, you know, maybe maybe make ourselves feel better by elevating our own our own person above him. Let's say, for example, if something was going sideways at, you know, at Benton city, not that it is, by the way, do we shout out the name redemption church, Benton city? Yeah. Sorry. Redemption church. Redemption. That's awesome. So, so I would say that having a conversation like that and even, even talking about ways that maybe Kellen may not be, as uh, evaluating maybe where Kellen's our understanding of Kellen's skills and saying, how can we come alongside this brother knowing that he struggles with, and I'm not saying you do, but let's say he's not a musician. He can't play the guitar. So we go, well, is there a guitar player we can send him? That's not gossip. It may be even an evaluation of, of something where Kellen may be like, man, seriously, I'm trying to play the guitar. guitar, Why you, why you capping on me, bro? Or we could say like, (laughs) yeah, he, he tries to play the guitar, but it's not serving the church well because he's not good enough at it. So can we get somebody else in there? That's going to serve the bride of Christ better. Yeah. But again, making this up. Gossip. This isn't the case. Right, because that would, that would be a genuine conversation, but the end of the conversation is a desire to both see things helped and also to be clear in 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 where we can and can't step in. And so there's a solution-oriented side of it, and, and I think that that would be an important distinction as well. Yes, absolutely. The intention matters, the heart matters. It's also possible to think, to, it's also possible to have the right intention and yet still sin. Certainly. E.g., typical Baptist prayer meetings. Yeah. 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 It happens. It does. Right? It does. So, by the way, the, the our folks here that uh, that run these prayer meetings, they are because we slip into gossip unintentionally, they're very good at guarding against this. So, if any of you guys are listening, I'm not going to shout you out by name right now. You guys do a great job of picking this off and doing it in a loving and a classy way, so good job. But it and, is possible and we love you. We heart you. It's it's possible and and easy to say, you know, I just want to pray for this person because, and then you say something that's not yours to share, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes. Merriam-Webster, for all the great theology that that's throwing down these days, um, gossip, a noun, a person who habitually reveals personal or, or sensational facts about somebody else. It could be a rumor or report of an intimate nature, uh, two verses. Uh-huh. Gossipery, dude. Gossipery is what. Okay, that's so. That's that's the proper word for it. We can't say that's gossip. We would have to because gossip is a verb. So, or uh, yeah, it's a verb. So we would have to say that is gossipery. New word. I just Boom. learned something. Done. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time I've gotten to use that drop. That was my. That was my daughter. She's uh, nine. Boom. <laughs> What's, I like it. Hold on, this one's lit up too. What's that? I want to take a second and tell you guys. I don't know what that is. That's some drop I did for something. I like this one. Boom! <laughs> <laughs>
I like you incorporating your kids in ministry. Praise the Lord. That's right. Integration. Okay, so we got, if you cross the line into judgmentalism, mm-hmm. bad juju, bad stuff. If your intention is to slander, embarrass, humiliate, make yourself seem superior, mm-hmm. you're crossing yeah, that line. Absolutely. Um, if your intentions are right, but you're still sharing information that's not yours to share, uh, or if... Maybe we could say this to your point, Ben. If if we're just venting rather than being solutions oriented, we're trying not to. We're we're not trying to help or you know come alongside. We're just letting it out. Yep, I'm going to add something to that. that. Yeah, yeah. I think it it just goes into so in Matthew 17 here. Let me pull the Bible up here so I'm not pulling for the mic. So in Matthew, well, Matthew 18 here, you see this order of which you're supposed to do if your brother sins against you, go to him privately. Yep. Well, in in Leviticus 19.17, I love what it says here. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Ooh. And I think that's the most difficult part is when somebody's sinned against us or if we have an obligation to go to somebody and to reason frankly with them, that's difficult because sometimes you've been offended and you don't want to reason frankly with them. You want to put them in their place. You want justice. And a lot of people will turn to gossip instead of going to that person and, and reasoning with them, frankly, which yeah. takes, you, you got to get rid of your anger. And so what I've found for myself and other people, oftentimes, instead of going to that person and addressing whatever it is, like, Matthew, like Jesus said in Matthew 18, then they turn to some other source. And that, I think, is not good or right. Yeah, so taking taking information that is proper for you to to address, but addressing it with somebody that's improper for you to address it with. Correct. Yeah, you should actually, I mean, this happens all the time in pastoral ministry, right? Somebody will come to us and say, I just don't, I don't like what that person did. I don't like what that person said. And it's like, you need to go talk to that person first. Otherwise, it's gossip. Now, that doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean they're incorrect in their evaluation. It just means you can't share this with me. You got to share it with that person. Yes, one other thing I would add to is if you're now this is this is not a hard line, but in my own conscience, in my own heart, I've said, would I be willing to say this to the person I'm saying it to if the person I'm talking about is right here? Huge deal. And if yeah. I wouldn't be willing to say that, I probably shouldn't be saying it unless, of course, I'm getting pastoral advice because mm-hmm. I have a situation that I just don't know how to handle. Yeah, I, it's too bad that uh, your microphone there is strapped onto a, a rig because you should drop that mic. That was beautiful. I mean, talk about a heart check, right? Would I say this if this person was standing right here, you know, or maybe better um, than, than that in some situations, because you are like you brought up, if you're talking about private information, trying to figure out how to approach something sensitive, you come to your pastor, you come to a a trusted friend and you say, here's the situation. How should I approach this? That's not gossip. You need some help strategizing. It it could turn into gossip, but you wouldn't want the person there for that situation, right? Or for that conversation. But what if that, what if there was a transcript of that and they read it in a year, would they be offended that you said that? Right. That's a really great heart check. Like, am I willing to answer in public for what I say now? If everything that's secret gets made known, mm-hmm. if not, you're probably gossiping. And I think this was done really well with, um, with me recently where somebody came to me and said, I've got a, it was a pastoral thing. Like, Hey pastor, I got this question. And she was dealing with a difficult situation not sure how to approach it. And it was with somebody that we both knew. And she was extremely careful to not include any details that would tip off to me who it was. And so I got to advise her in that situation without knowing anything that somebody else would be embarrassed about. And it's not because she doesn't trust me. It's because she wouldn't, she thought that person might be humiliated if I found out about it this way, rather than them coming to me personally. And I thought that was masterful. I I thought that was Christianity 
301. That was ninja stuff. Okay, so um, all great. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a I'm gonna drop a sideways bomb here. Whoa, uh, maybe. So what happens, for example, if you very good? <laughs> and what happens, for example, if you come up across an individual who's coming to you saying, "I have this difficulty with this individual," right? And let's say, for example, there is not to sound like I've been reading out of the handbook of the CRT manual or anything like that, but <laughs> but there is a, a, a very big differentiation in 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 power or something yeah, like that's that. A legit say, for thing. example, uh, a, a young a youth comes up to me and says that this older adult did something yep. or said something or looked sideways at them and they're sharing these details with me and they're they're looking for my help mm-hmm. right so as they discuss that is that gossip because they haven't gone to that older scarier taller person mm-hmm. and said hey what you did was offensive to me and it hurt my feelings okay right so- or it scared me or even you know that yeah that is a brilliant point because that happens a lot, right? And so this could happen with, you know, if, um, if women are physically intimidated by men, wives are maybe even relationally intimidated by a husband who's aggressive or maybe even abusive. So those power differentials matter because that means that you can't or shouldn't or are understandably hesitant to approach the other person directly. That's a great point. I think that would go in, maybe I'm wrong about this, it, Tell me what you think. I think that would go in the biblical category of justice. And those that are um, victims or disenfranchised or not resourced in order to handle situations, they would um, they need to be advocated for. Mm-hmm. And the biblical command is to speak for those that can't speak for themselves. So somebody calling out for an advocate in order for justice to take place, I think that is outside the realm of gossip. And yep. I would say, and I, I would defend that person and saying, no, she should have come to me because now you got to fight somebody your own size. Let, let's talk, right? And then a brother gets to go and, and um, you know, bear one another's burdens. So yeah, great point. And I think that's, yeah, justice and gossip. I think those are two different categories that can sometimes look the same on the front end. Yeah, and from a pastoral standpoint, you have to weigh those very carefully, right? Yep, At what absolutely. point is that? And one one of the things I've done in the past is someone has come up to me and said, "Hey, I have a I have a problem with how this pastor, um, you know, how they discuss this particular thing with me." And I and I said, "Well, you do need to go to them, and I will walk with you yep. in them, and I will I will help be your voice." And it's not a it's 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 not a trying to d- double team the pastor. It's just this this person has a ha, there's a there's a power differential. There's a concern that they'll get run over, and, yeah. and they don't want to be mistaken. And by and large, when I've done that, first of all, thankfully, every time I've done that, the pastor has been completely humble. And oh, said, you were dealing with not, some good uh, pastors. Yeah, it was, I had some you know all the shout outs to my former pastors, but in the sense of that there was this there there was this extreme humility. And and I I ended up going to the to the to the to the sister at the time and just said, see, you realize how bad that wasn't? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you realize how how you know there was this genuine care and concern, and yeah. and and I think that you know, and especially when you get a a, a good man, remember, the best of men are men at best, but a good man at in that will receive that. Yep. And even if there's an advocate coming along with, will go okay. Yeah. Maybe there's some toes I stepped on. I need to be careful with that. Yeah, and and a a pastor should be mature enough to not be scared by a double team. Like if if he if he starts crying out and be like, I just feel like I'm really ganged up on, then the answer would be, dude, lose the skirt, suck it up. You know, like if if you've offended somebody, handle business. You know, that's the kind of thing that an immature believer you got to be careful to protect them and not make them feel bullied because spiritual abuse is a real thing. Um, but a pastor should be able to handle a situation like that. 
Yeah, completely agreed. Another thing to consider, um, oftentimes we don't, we don't go to somebody and talk to them directly and we end up gossiping instead because we're scared of something that's not really that scary, right? Like if you go to somebody with a disagreement, usually, not always, usually the worst case scenario actually isn't that bad. Like, what are you worried about? A little bit of like awkwardness or, and, and they'll, what people are actually scared of is rejection in some form, which is a, a, a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying prospect to any human because we're relational beings and they're scared of rejection. I'm telling you what, and Ben, you and me were just talking about this earlier today. An older, wiser pastor gave me some advice years ago. He said, run towards conflict because sometimes you can get it while it's small, right? Not always, but if you don't run towards it, it's always going to fester and it, it winds up worse. So run towards conflict. And, you know, I've adopted that methodology as often as I can, which, you know, for some personality types, they're, they're conflict averse and that's harder. For me, I'm basically a jerk, so it doesn't bother me that much. But, you know... No laughs, really. Crickets. Okay. Y'all a bunch of haters. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's true, though. And, and usually I find out that because God has commanded this, he also empowers what he has commanded. And those conversations wind up being not as bad as I expected, or if they are as bad as I expected, then I realize, like, God's still at work. Christ is still on the throne. And by the way, I'm not made out of glass. It's okay. And, and you're fine and better off in the end for it. You know, I think one of the interesting things you just mentioned that is that I think some of the best prepping ground is being a parent. Oh, because you have to address things. You know, if, if you get it, if, 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 for example, if I, if, if one of my sons begins to mouth off to his mother, I have to address that. Yeah. I can't just let that fly. Right. Right. And, or, or if there's someone, if, if my son's in a situation or my daughter's in a situation where they, that, where there could be some harm to them, I can't run away from that conflict. I have to run towards it because yeah. I love them. Right. In the same way as, as pastors over the flock, if we see something or if we need to address something, we have to run into it. So, for example, like I, I am probably a little bit more conflict averse, right? That's just, just personality, wise. personality yeah. wise. And yet it's like, you know, when when you see something going on, you have to run towards it. And I just got to, you know, put on the big boy pants and just run yeah. versus versus trying where where my natural inclination might be to to walk the other direction. So, sure. Nope, I have to run into it. But one of the things, one of the benefits of that is that not everybody will like you or appreciate you for bringing up the conflict, but they will, in a weird sense, trust you, right? Because you get to be consistent, you get to be dependable, and even if people don't like how you go about things, they're going to know what you're going to do, and that speaks to integrity. And I would submit to you that it is better to be universally trusted than to be universally liked. Like Jesus says, you know, be careful when all men speak well of you. You know, you you probably shouldn't be universally liked, Uh, but to be, to be known worldwide among everybody that you know, as being somebody who is principled and will act according to those principles, that's worth some conflict and that's worth some awkward conversations. And you lose that when you engage in gossip. Mm -hmm. So personal shout out to you and your character. I can see you sometimes being kind of harsh. Nope, never happens. But but I came to you when I had some marital issues because I knew if there's a blind spot, Sonny's going to call me out. And he did. And I was thankful for that because I knew that I could trust you. Yeah. Yeah, and you and, and you and me are brothers, right? We've been through yes. some stuff, right? And so, and, and having gone through all that stuff, I, I trust you. I know you're going to react based on a certain set of principles and I know you're not going to violate it if the pressure's on, right? Amen. And so when that goes both ways, now you and I, I think, you know, I hope I'm not speaking for you too much, but you and I have earned the right to give each other hard phone calls, yeah. right? And you've, you've called me before and said, hey man, I saw you do this or say that. 
can you make that make sense for me? Right. <laughs> which, which, you know, was, was a very brotherly way of saying you might've been wrong, but I don't have all the information. Can you fill, fill me in here? And then we had a conversation the one issue I'm thinking about, we had a conversation where we just had a meeting of the minds. I learned from that, you know, mm-hmm. when I wouldn't have had you chickened out in that moment. Yeah. Right. And Ben, you and I have known each other for what, nine months now. And we, we've had a couple of these things too, where we would have hit ministry situations from a different angle. And so I've, I developed trust in you real quick. Cause I saw you hold under pressure. So the point guys is all of this, and by the way, I hope that pressure didn't come from, from me. I hope it was just coming from, from the situation, but all of this guys is to say, if you be careful when you cross the line into gossip. And like Ben said, it's, it's tough to know sometimes situation by situation when that's happening, it does require wisdom. But be careful about that because what you lose is far more important than the comfort that you gain by having a release valve of gossip when you should be addressing it elsewhere. And I was going to say also, be quick to receive correction. We all need to be quick to receive correction. And it, it, we, we all sin. We all stumble. It's not. And, and so, if, if for example, if somebody comes up to me and says, man, you were talking about something on the podcast and, oh, dang, I think you were gossiping. I said, look, I... I my, wasn't my intention. If I offended you, I want to make sure that that we're okay. And, and then when I really can be shown, hey, you know, no, you in fact did gossip. Own it. Yeah. Own it. Repent of it. We'll pull the episode. And, yeah. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll do all of that. But I mean, hopefully that won't ever happen. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Actually, we keep the episode, and then we we just issue a complete and utter face melting retraction. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. We could even like record it and put it on the front end. Totally. Hey, at this m- minute marker and second marker, you're going to see a pastor sin horribly and not get struck struck down by lightning. So praise God for His mercy. Amen. There you go. <laughs> I want to add one scripture to what this. What do you got? It's Psalms one forty one five. Let a righteous man strike me; it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me; it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Give that's, me some nucks. That's not an easy thing to receive, but the Lord showed me that, and this is a part of being mature. And if you, if we can walk in that, wow, what a blessing we can have from the Lord. Amen. Huge, huge. It was Psalm one forty five. What now? One forty one five. One forty one five. Beautiful. I'm gonna to get that, that one. Yeah, I'm gonna get it tattooed in Hebrew on me <laughs> there somewhere. You go. Yeah. <laughs> on your head. On my. <laughs> <laughs> it says, "Let my head not refuse it." Yeah. Well, take away that option for myself, wouldn't it? All right, so um, we got we got a little list here. Where do we want to go with this? Uh, I don't know. We got one. I got one. We more. We got question. one more. One more. What do we got? So, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Uh, we should save that for another episode because that's a long discussion. I like, don't disagree. I don't know. Maybe I just you know, I, Kellen. I, what did you bring to the table here? Did you bring anything you wanted to discuss? Because like, if we talk about that and then we go on from yeah, there, yeah, this yeah. is going to be a nine hour long episode. Yeah, sure, that's so, such a terrible tease. By the way, keep listening to the podcast. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. terrible tease. <laughs> and you may have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and you won't know it unless you subscribe. So yeah. <laughs> pay attention next week. <laughs> I believe we were discussing spiritual abuse. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I came into this. I didn't have anything prepared. You asked me to kind of think about some questions, and I got in a car crash, and I just I haven't had time, but. I did mention something earlier, and I'm I'm willing to go there, but I have something. You can't else. just drop that like a candy wrapper and move on, dude. Are you, are you okay? Like, how you doing? Yeah, I'm was good. You, was I, your family in the car? Oh, oh, yeah. No, it was just me. I got t-boned, and uh, the lady was fine. She had a couple young kids. They were fine. I was fine. My door got smashed. My car got towed. I got a new truck already. God is good. I think it's from the Lord. Okay. For All those right. of you who are not watching, because we don't have any cameras filming just yet, I want ugly. you to know that Kellen is upright. 
He mm-hmm. is walking pain-free, mm-hmm. uh, does not seem to be wincing when he lifts his arms, so uh, we're good. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I was wondering what was up with the neck brace. I was like, that's a bold fashion <laughs> choice, but I have no neck brace. I'm joking. All right, sorry, go ahead. So, I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, so, the, so this would be an additional question. If we want to hit that one that I did mention at lunch, we can. This is important to me. This is really on my heart. How do we balance the doctrinal aspect of the church, all the spiritual elements, with the human aspect. So, for example, we have a 501c3 nonprofit, yep. and that's what we're labeled as under the government. Of course, there are scriptures that talk about be subject to the governing authorities, and there's a human element to that. A lot of it, there's nothing in the scripture that really talks about it. You have paying taxes in, I think it's Romans 14. It could be First Peter 2. But um, So my question would be, how do we balance and how do we teach this, model this to the, the congregation that we're pastoring that you have to have, I don't even know if you have to have both, but th- there's a reality to both elements. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me, let me summarize that and make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Sure. Okay. We, if I hear you right, we have to operate in some of the systems of the world. We have to participate in the economy and by the laws and so on. And yet... We're operating under a king who is not of this world. And so how much does that matter to us? Where are the lines of where we shove the world's authority off and say that doesn't apply here? Like that that kind of, that yes. cluster of questions. Yes. Yeah. What are those boundaries when you say this is enough? I think COVID brought, I'm not trying to go down COVID at all, but I'm just saying the COVID situation right. brought up a lot of instances where people are like, well, I'm not wearing a mask and God doesn't have the right. And, and then other people would say, well, you're supposed to submit to the governing authorities and then there's paying tax and all this. And so where is that line where we say, okay, yes, we're going to submit to the governing authorities in this area for the church specifically. Right. And in my own words, I would say there is the church spiritually. We're baptized into Christ and there's the universal church. Then there's the local church. And then there's this human element where the church is, it's like an organ, it's a human organization in which we operate, but that is not the church. Of course, the right. spiritual element is what's most important. Yeah, our bylaws don't make us a church. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm thinking about Luke 16, 9, after he tells that kind of wildly confusing parable about the unrighteous steward. The, the point of it, he says here, is make friends for yourselves. Uh, make friends for yourselves from the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will take you into eternal dwellings. So, a starting point for for processing this is, I, th- I think, two twin starting points. You brought up one, which is the Romans thirteen thing. Like, hey, governing authorities exist. You pay taxes for a reason. That's God's design. You know, you should submit to that. Like, is as a as a principle. And now, granted, this was written by a guy who was planting who was leading an illegal church planting movement while he was writing that so he understood there were limits on this but the broad principle is you pay your taxes you submit to the government and then if there's an exception to that it is just that an exception to the rule there's the rule now then the guiding principle on when you go about doing all of that is uh is is here you know you take unrighteous wealth so we're just gonna i'll just go ahead and say the, the resources of the world right and you do things with that that is eternally significant Okay. So you take you take wealth from the world and then you make eternal friends or friends in eternal dwellings. So how do you do that? I had a, a, a rather spirited um, accusation against me one time by a guy. Th- this guy, he used to um, call up 
churches and tell them what they were doing wrong. That was his discernment ministry. Um, also known as a jerk he is, is uh, I think the Greek term for it. He, uh, he, he called us up and he said, are you guys first question out of the gate? Are you guys a 501 C three nonprofit? And I said, yeah. And <laughs> Ben's rolling his eyes. With it. <laughs> I said, yeah. And he was like, you guys have bowed the knee to Caesar and Baal and you've given the pinch of salt and you're, you know, not faithful and stuff. And, his, I, I think his point there, as near as I could understand his um, kind of manic logic, was um, I, I think his point was if you have an official agreement with the government, then they can require things of you that necessarily will compromise your faithfulness, right? So you have sworn allegiance to the government over Christ. And I thought about this, you know, years before. When I first got here, I thought, should we just let the nonprofit status go and whatever. And kind of what it came down to was we were like, all right, let's look in the realm of reality here rather than ivory tower conversations with, with the property we have here. What would the property taxes be on, on this place if we let the nonprofit status go? Cause honestly it doesn't change any of our operations at all. Right. It doesn't change. There's, there's no pressure on me to preach a certain message. If that were to happen someday, well, I mean, and we're kind of assuming it will like at some point the nonprofit status is going to go right for a couple of reasons, but you know, and one is, Politicians want money. So that's what's going to happen. But up to now, it hasn't. We're ready for it to go. But it's not changing our our obedience to Christ one bit. And then if we were to let it go, we could say, hey, now we're able to be more faithful. And we would do exactly the same thing that we were doing before with no change. And we would have $12,000 a year less to accomplish the mission and the government would have $12,000 a year more to accomplish whatever they're doing that would not be the great commission. So if we're looking at turning dollars into disciples, if we're looking at, at, at making friends, eternal friends for ourselves or friends in eternal dwellings by means of unrighteous wealth, then it would be a bad idea and it would be counter to the mission to send that to an unrighteous government. Now that doesn't mean we pad our, our, our account, right? Cause that logic could sound like, yeah, so that's that's why we that's why we collect a bunch of money. Like I'm not I'm not giving a bunch of tithing messages and stuff like that and trying to increase revenue. We're putting this stuff out on the mission field. You know, we're paying people's mortgage, we're planting churches, we're doing whatever. And so it's not a matter of of protecting the bottom line. This and we've talked about this before on the podcast where the difference between a business and a church, right? A business sends out a little bit of money for things like advertising or whatever in order to bring in more. Churches bring in a little bit of money in order to send out a whole lot, right? So the, the yeah. goal is to get rid of the money but we have to be wise about where we're putting it. And it seemed to us to be a better investment to put it towards great commission work than to have it sitting on government books. So on, in a practical sense, I mean, and I realize we're on a rabbit trail here, but there's a larger, there's a larger picture in a practical sense. Yes. It can mean faithlessness to play footsie with um, an unrighteous government and say, we will submit to you in reality. You can take that on a case by case basis, right? Um, because you do have to account for the effect that it's going to have, not just if you can articulately defend your decision on, you know, on, on the principle of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. What do you think? Well, uh, go well, ahead. I was going to ask you a question really quick. So when, when a church, and, and you probably have a little bit more experience this than, than I do, because I am not an accountant. I don't play one on TV. I don't understand most things about the IRS. I send all of my taxes to an accountant, and they take care of that. Spreadsheets me. scare me. You and I are together. Totally. All right. Yeah. But, when, but when you sign up for a 501c3 status, are you, in fact, signing on to a doctrinal statement supplied to you by the U.S. government? Nope. So the government is not telling you how you must preach the gospel 
and they're not giving you any kind of any kind of limits. No fly list or something. There's no fly list. No, no, no. At this point in history, at the date that we are recording this, yeah. no, that is not the case. So, so even even the accusation of having bowed the knee to Baal, allowing Uncle Sam, as it were, to tell us what we can and can't preach from our pulpits. Yeah. I would say that that is an inaccurate understanding, and it's not really ceding power. I, 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 the The idea of even just the, the the use of government, God's intention for government, is to is to commend those who do good, and also to restrain those or punish those who do evil. Yep. Right. So, would this not be participating in the if the government is saying no? This church does churches by by large do good, so we are going to commend those who do good by granting them some kind of tax status. Well, yeah, or I, I hope they wouldn't say it that way because that, that puts them in a position of, of benevolent giving over the church. Uh, I think the more, the more, um, the founding fathers would probably say it more in terms of these are matters of conscience and worship, not matters of government. So butt out. Agreed. Right. So there's, there is a, a common fear that if we're receiving any breaks at all from the government, then they have, the power to require something of us because they have a threat to hold over our heads, right? We'll revoke your nonprofit status. But the fact is, like when this has happened, that the, the government has tried to control the, um, the the message, which happened in Texas, oddly enough, of all places. There was a place in Texas where the, the county was making the big church in town, whatever it was, submit the sermon outlines to a government mm. official, and then they would approve it. Yeah, in Texas. This was like, I don't know, four or five years ago, maybe. It was the craziest thing. And so it's like, okay, they could they they could have easily threatened them, and they may have. If you don't play ball, we'll revoke your nonprofit status. But let's say they weren't nonprofits. They then the government would just say, then we'll fine you. <laughs> like yeah, it doesn't yeah. change anything, right? So there's always a financial threat to to the faithfulness of God. So we, yeah, anyway. But you had a that's one example here of a larger question you had, which is what like at what point do we break what are the limits of the Romans 13 principle where we submit to the government? Is that what you're asking? Uh, no, it's it's part of it. No, it's more about shepherding the flock that we have been placed over and helping them to see the biblical balance of there's this doctrinal biblical side of the church. It's universal. It's local. But then there's also this human element that gets mixed in there, which is the 501c3 process, which is you got to have church ins- insurance. I mean, you don't have to, but... You probably you pretty should. much do, yeah. And so there's this human element of it, and how do you just shepherd people's hearts so that we can be as unified as much as possible? So that when you, if maybe you deal with someone who tends towards that, hey, I don't want to be involved with the government. The government's corrupt. They're they're paying for abortion. They're doing this stuff, and that's true. And we don't want to contribute to that, but I don't know that we can do anything. And and I think about Ecclesiastes that. They'll have to give it an account one day, and so we it's it's two wrongs don't make two two wrongs don't make a right. So we're still going to be a part, but there is a, a boundary in which we would say no. And so I don't know if that's clear or not. Yeah, I think a, a big guiding principle is the issue of conscience, right? And this is something that we've been talking about a lot for the last couple of years, and especially as vaccine Amen. mandates come down and so on. It's like, well, my kids are required to, or my kids might be required to have this to go to school it would conflict with my conscience to do this to my kids and have them get the vaccine because I don't know what's in there or whatever. And this is a sample thing that parents are talking about, right, as they're sorting through this. And so it's like you've got a law and then you've got your conscience and when the two are in conflict, what do you do, right? 
And is it? And then you get into all these questions of is it even a law or is it just a politician saying something? Because a politician's declaration is not the same thing as a law, right? And yeah. Sometimes that line gets a little bit fuzzy. So, um, yeah, th- that's a huge guiding principle. Is look, if it violates your conscience to you, it is sin. This is the whole point of Romans fourteen and First Corinthians eight. It's like Romans fourteen uh, twenty three says, "Whatever is not of faith is sin." And Hebrews eleven six says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please Him." And so if, if you're violating your conscience because you're trying to control the outcome, rather than trusting God with what you believe to be right, that would actually be on the wrong side of, of the issue. You would be, you know, I, I use this word lightly because I don't want to sound like I'm bullying people like, you're sinning, but there is, that is actually a sinful heart condition because it's based in fear rather than, than faith in the sovereign God, right? So one way to get at, one way to start getting at those, those questions is to say, don't violate your conscience, right? Unless the scripture says otherwise. The scriptures can, can correct your conscience if it's misinformed, but all things being equal, do not violate your conscience. It's worth dying for, right? When Paul is on trial for his life, he appeals to his conscience. He says, I have a clear conscience before God. When Luther is on trial for his life, he says, it is neither right nor safe to go against conscience. And he was right, you know? And, and he, he lived by it and um, almost died by it a few times and was happy that he did. So yeah, don't don't ever cross that line. Amen. Next subject. Yeah. So in Benton City, where I am pastoring, there are multiple churches with female pastors leading the congregation, and I would unashamedly say that's not biblical. It's not proper. And I commend those ladies. I really do. I commend them for their heart to want to serve Christ, and maybe there's a lack of godly men stepping up but how do we balance, and it's not just the pastoral role, but how do we balance in the church valuing the women and allowing them to lead in different capacities? I mean, the scriptures are pretty clear. The elder, the pastor, the overseer is to be, it's the role for a man, and men need to be leading the churches. But at some point, where do we allow women to lead so they don't feel undervalued? Of course, the scripture says that a woman can teach women. They can teach kids. So what, how do you, and, and I say this, to me, it's not just a black and white answer. I mean, there could be black and white answers, but people are not just black and white. And you have to, how do you shepherd a whole group of people where some people are probably chauvinist and some people are really liberal. And how do you shepherd all these people who have different perspectives and to try to bring unity on this topic? Yeah. So foundational principles, you got what? First Corinthians. Uh, I got, I got first Corinthians 11. Okay. All right. I got first Timothy two. Let's, let's do the first Timothy one and then we'll, yep. first Corinthians 11. will expand on that. So, First Timothy 2 is what you were referencing here, Kellen. I do not allow, uh, verse 12, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet for it is, for it was Adam who was first formed and then Eve to Ben's point about creation. Uh, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into trespass. Okay. So he says here a parallel statement, right? And this being a podcast where we do devotions on Proverbs, we're very familiar with these parallelisms, saying the same thing in two different ways and, and throwing different um, uh, light on different aspects of it with the restatement. So I do not allow a woman to teach or to hold authority over a man. Here we have a typical Jewish parallel statement 
where teaching is an authoritative act in the church. So he's saying the same thing twice from two different angles. To teach is to hold authority, and to teach over a man is to hold authority over a man. So that's Paul's line where he says, okay, this is, to borrow another phrase from earlier, this is the no-fly zone. When If a woman can say no to a man in church, then we're upending things that Paul said. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One, because it's going to mess with the structure of the home, right? If the church is in the house, and the, then the husband is the head of the house, but if the wife is the, the final, you know, Hebrews 13 say so in the church, then you've got this conflict there. And the question is, how do you manage that? And the answer is the Bible doesn't even allow for that question to take place. So don't worry about it, you know? Um, so we're, we're talking about teaching men and holding authoritative positions over men. So one principle to start with, just to clarify things, is is she in a position where she could tell a man no, and he would be required in that organization to listen to her. So you were asking about like, um, you know, ladies leading worship and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Some people disagree with me on this. In fact, Ben, we've never talked about this. You may disagree with me. Maybe I'm going to get fired in this episode instead of you. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I'll have to go back and change the intro. Uh, so the, as, as a, you know, when I was doing music ministry for a long time, that was the thing was like, well, if you've got a woman up there on a microphone saying, okay, here's what we're going to sing in the next verse. Is that not female leadership? And my thought was, what I kind of came down on was, let's not be overdramatic. They're singing a script that somebody else wrote. You know, this is not um, this is not something where they're saying, I'm going to show you how to exegete and interpret this, and then you go, do and, like, uh, you go and do likewise. Instead, there's, um, there's uh, maybe a difference between facilitating and um, authoritatively teaching. I always wanted to make sure that my ladies who were singing, even if they were singing lead, were not in a position where they could tell a man no about something, whether it's a song choice or a lyric change or uh, whatever, because that would cross this boundary. So I don't think that having women visible uh, and, um, you know, even like reading scripture or singing or, you know, I don't like whatever, doing announcements or something like that, not that doesn't cross that line. And so I think that Paul leaves open for women everything in the church except for teaching the word of God, which is authoritative, over a man. Right. Now, he says here, remain quiet, and that basically because in 1 Corinthians 11 and 14, he's going to say, look, let her ask her husband at home. Give the husband a chance to do his job before she starts, you know, like going around him and saying, hey, what about this? Let's talk about that and stuff like that. So what part of 1 Corinthians 11 are you going to? Well, I I was going to, um, just in in reflecting on this, I was thinking, okay, let's speak where the Bible speaks clearly, right? And so... For example, uh, sometimes uh, I've I've been uh, part of organizations in the past where, or or been adjacent to organizations in the past where it's like, well, we're gonna we're gonna make sure that there's no chance that even the possibility of of a woman being seen as as taking authority yeah. will ever happen, right? So, for example, having a sister lead worship would would be anathema yeah. to these guys. In other words, anathema being a big word for no fly zone, right? Yeah. And so, in and yet it, it would seem and 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 this just popped into my this just popped in my head as we were reflecting on this is in 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 first corinthians eleven five there is an assumption that there is a woman or a wife who prays or prophesies i'm assuming and i'm making an assumption here in a mixed crowd because yep. paul's addressing a mixed crowd yep. with her head uncovered which means that he's not saying well the wife should just be quiet and not pray or prophesy yep. instead she should just do so with her head covered. With now, a symbol of authority, yes. right? Marital authority. And I'm, I'm pr- comfortable making the link between that and the wedding ring. I have no... I, yeah, in I, our culture. Yeah. Exactly. But so is there is there a place for a woman, like you mentioned, for a woman to read the scripture, 
maybe even at the front of a sermon. Now, I'm not yep. making polity here for grace and no, truth you're fine, or anything like that. But the only reason we don't do that is because I think it would be confusing for people, right? It's not because the Bible says no to it, but to have a woman read the the text for the morning and say, you know, stand with me in honor of God's word. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna read our text yeah. for this morning, and then Pastor Dustin's gonna come up and preach it. You know, there, I don't see a biblical problem with that. It's just it would be confusing for folks. So that's why we've shied away from it. Yeah. Well, and I and I don't and and for example, having even a um, and this this might get me just a skosh in trouble. We'll see here. Um, where Cracking my knuckles exactly? So nice. So you know, for example, having a, a woman who is even uh, leading worship in the sense of even picking out the songs for the service under the direction of the head pastor, because I'm assuming that the lead teaching pastor would be the one who directs things, for example, on Sunday, at least that's, that's how it's usually been in my practice. If she's going, okay, great. Well, I've got my, I've got the theme for it. I've got the lyrics here. We're going to go that direction. This is, it's, it's less of a, Hey, I'm going to make these huge spiritual judgment calls. I mean, I'm not saying it's not unspiritual work, but I'm also not saying it's, it's, I'm, I'm establishing doctrine. I'm, 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 I'm addressing philosophy and, and all of this is submitted under the role of, of the lead. Yeah, maybe. I think, I think that we would have to be careful there to say that, um, because what, what a congregation sings together that's a shepherding decision, right? Mm-hmm. Colossians 3.16 says you teach each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So whoever is picking out the content is doing some shepherding there. If that were to happen as an administrative task, no problem. It's like, mm-hmm. like you know, we, don't, we haven't done it so much here recently, but in the past we've had a book of like me and Micah would sit down and say, okay, these are the 40 songs we're going to do for the next few months. Then we'll, we'll re, yeah. rework the list. Well, that's pre-approved, all set. If she was going to pick them and arrange them and say, this is what we're doing, that's an administrative task. That's not something where she's got the ability to tell her husband no. Okay. So let's take this outside of the worship service context. You want to take this outside? I want to take this outside. Catch me outside, bro. I I knew this was going to get heated. (laughs) Yeah. So let's say, for example, um, we have, uh, well, I've I've served in church contexts where you have a large janitorial staff. And does does the direction of that janitorial staff have to come from a pastor or can that be someone who's like maybe say like a facilities manager who then tells a male, "Hey, I need you to clean the bathrooms. Do the job that that is that is fitting here." Yeah. Not making a doctrinal position, but as a but as an administrator over that particular area has has a levels of authority, but not necessarily spiritual authority. I'm speaking of just administrative authority. Is that is that kosher or not? Uh, great question. Yeah, that's a great question. And I I would say no. I would say that's a no-go. Because if she's got authority over a man, then I think that's exactly what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, don't do. Now, granted, he says that in a teaching context, but there's a reason that he restates it a second time and specifies authority over a man. And I think any time that we're flirting with that line, then we're we're saying we're going beyond what is written in the 1 Corinthians 4 sense. And it's like, that would be a great question for the Apostle Paul if he was here. Like, hey, is that included in what you said? But he's not here. And so that could easily be seen as conflicting with what was said. And I'm like, if he wanted to specify that, he would do it, right? So if you've got a gal who's leading something to the point where she's approving and rejecting requests of men in the church, then I think that goes over the line of what he says in First Timothy 2. Fair enough. Um, as as we, I just I was just confirming, and and I and I haven't actually got to that spot yet. But for example, Proverbs thirty one, yep. right? The woman who has servants and she yep. commands her servants, mm-hmm. so she's buying land, she's exercising authority. Yep. Um, not right. 
right? No, it's fine. It's not the local church. I mean, okay. that's the same thing as saying, well, Deborah was a judge. Yeah, I know, but a judge is not a pastor, right? Okay. Paul is, is talking about what Christ wants to see from his bride, and the home is a separate entity. Now, they're connected. They, there's a lot of interplay, but they're very different structures, and he wants things to not conflict with those structures. There's no conflict there with Proverbs 31 because a hired servant, I mean, like she's the woman in, in Proverbs 31 is a business owner. She can tell her employees to do whatever she wants, and in the household codes that Paul wrote would say, do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, no conflict there at all. Okay. But, but if that translates to any kind of, any kind of a non spiritual work within the church or labor inside non spiritual work, well, for example, okay. Doing yard work. I mean, yeah. Okay. Everything is spiritual. I'll say, okay, well t- we can take that label, but for example, no, 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 I don't directing. think you can write that off so quick. I, I, I don't think you can, I, I don't think that we could say that so casually and say, yeah, everything's spiritual, but some stuff is, is really spiritual and some stuff is not. I think it's, it's got to be all or nothing. And I think our theology would say everything matters to God. It, it oh. is all service to the bride of Christ and therefore falls under the, uh, the, the commands that he gave for how to set this up. So no. what would not be in that category? Well, okay. Well, I'm not, um, I'm not saying it's unspiritual work. I want to be really clear okay. on that. What I, what I am saying is, is that as a, if, if, if we're, for example, even, even the break between, uh, between like, for example, the apostles and then those who were the proto deacons in Acts chapter six, right? Yep. Okay. There's serving on, waiting on tables, right? Administering, administering various, various functions of mercy yep. that were given out in Acts six. And then there was, there was devoting ourselves to the, to the preaching, the teaching of the word and the prayer, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that kind of a distinction within the church body, both very spiritual aspects, right? And right. even acts of service and cleaning the church and things like that, very spiritual. But to say, are, are we saying that, that all of those acts, both of those things needed, need to be directed solely by men and that, that, that women really should not be placed in a, in, a, in a position of direction or administration over those? Depends on if there's men involved, right? If you've got a lady leading ladies ministry, I don't see a conflict as long as she's under the authority of the eldership of the church, like everybody would need to be right. Um, if you've got a lady who has, who's running the uh, janitorial crew, which by the way, grace and truth we have, and she does a great job, right? Um, if there's guys that want to show up and help and she's like, Oh, it, like administratively, you know, if you want to help, you could help over there. But if there's a point where there's a decision to make and the, and she is in a position where she is saying, no, you may not do this. Yes, you must do that. No, you may not expend these funds or whatever. Then you've got women holding authority over men. And I just think it's really clear where it says no. So I appreciate what you're saying, Sonny. Well, I appreciate both of you. Um, I like where we're going here. So how would you handle, let's say you have this faithful, godly woman. Mm-hmm. Let's say it just takes one person to do the janitorial service. And then a man comes and maybe he's not, he's not going to, you're not going to put him as the main leader in that position. And let's say a decision has to be made. Would you allow for a, a female leader, let's say the janitorial position. And then when a decision has to be made, instead of her telling him what to do, he comes to you and you make that decision? Well, I think that... Or would you have to remove her and say, okay, now you can't lead anymore because we have men serving? No, I don't think that. I think, first off, you know, that's the difference that, that Ben just brought up of, of, like, that's what deacons are there for, right? So you can have somebody there making decisions that doesn't all have to flow back up to the pastors, right? Um, then, you know, Acts 6, they're like, I ain't dealing with this. <laughs> you know, I got, I got prayer in the ministry of the word to do. But, um, no, if I understand your question correctly, then... I think that there, there is um, a, 
a spot of real honor in the church where, you know, maybe exemplified best by Priscilla and, and Phoebe and these gals where it's like, all right, things got to get made here. And I trust this lady's opinion because she's got blood in the mud and she is a servant of Christ. I need to know what she thinks. But the final responsibility of that decision is going to fall on somebody else. So we've got ladies in the church. You guys both know some of these, these gals that, you know, are just rock solid ladies. And I'll call them up and be like, Hey, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that, what do you think? And they'll advise me on it. But the final responsibility for that falls on the buck stops, not with them. And if somebody's got to say no to somebody, it's going to be, you know, in, in that phone call, it's going to be me that goes and says no to a man. Not, I'm not going to send a woman in to do that for me. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think the, uh, the trusted, the, the trusted wise sage, or if there's a female version of that sage S sage I don't know. That's, that's an honored position in the church. And that's what you lose with chauvinism, right? When you go too far on this thing, like we're never going to let a woman do anything involving a microphone or public view or whatever. And certainly not if she's not wearing a long skirt that's floor length and <laughs> that uh, doily looking head cover like that, you know, that kind of stuff that kicks out the, the gifts that God made wise women to be in the church. Right. But if there's, if somebody's got to take an arrow, which leaders do a lot, right? We get shot all the time. Thankfully, usually by people outside the church, right? But leaders just got to take a lot of arrows. And if we're sending women in front to do that for us, I think that's shameful on top of being disallowed by the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think in our culture, there are women probably in the world and, and even in the church that would say, well, I can handle it. And I think in our culture, we have lost sight of what it means to have godly, brave, strong men to the point that women have become strong and they probably maybe could handle it, but it's not supposed to be that. Yeah, so we had a situation last week where a young lady um, wanted to become a Christian. And I said, that's great. She, she was referred by a friend to come and talk to me, right? She said, I want to talk to you because he says, you know, this, that, whatever. And I pastored that guy. And so he says, you need to go and talk to Dustin. And so I said, cool, I'll meet with you. But like, I'll meet with you once. And then I'm going to bring this lady in that I trust. And she's going to disciple you from there. Right? So we had a, a sit down. It was great. Had a great time. We all talked together. And then I said, okay, I was kind of speaking like, okay, as your pastor, ladies, here's where I think this needs to go for the spiritual development. Let me know what you need. Now, me and Ben are here to to back her up, give her all the resources she needs, help her out with questions she's got, whatever. But the the young lady that I brought in to help disciple or to, to do the, the discipleship, that is gritty work. And I think sometimes when women feel excluded from stuff because it's like, well, that's just the boys club. It's like, you guys don't understand what, like what you're actually, what you have has actually been entrusted to you by God. It's not a lower level of ministry than what the pastors are doing, you know? Like, so she's doing stuff now as a disciple maker that I can't do. And she's getting into, into areas of, of this young lady's life that wants to become a Christian. I can't go there with her because it wouldn't be appropriate. And frankly, I wouldn't be as good at it anyway. And so it's, um, I, I think that, so you take like the waves of feminism, right? First wave feminism was, was great and it was needed. It was a necessary correction. Let us vote. Let us participate. Praise God for those ladies. Second wave of feminism was, you know, we can be equal to men. And they start putting shoulder pads in their jackets in the 80s and stuff like that, getting all weird looking and making the perms. I mean, it was all about being a big physical intimidating presence so you could land a man's job, right, in, in, in their parlance. Third wave feminism was, we're not just equal to men. Now we don't even need men. And that 
kind of objection that you're talking about, Kellen, is somewhere between second and third wave feminism. I'm either equal to the, uh, I either want to be seen as equal to the pastors because I'm capable of doing that job or who needs those guys anyway, right? Which is kind of where it leads in a lot of ways. Um, and I would just say, you're already equal to the pastors. The pastors are not superior to you yeah. because we're men and we've got a title, <laughs> you know? That's a complete misunderstanding of how God actually made stuff. And I, I wish that that these gals, because I've heard stuff like that, and I wish that these gals would see themselves with as much dignity as God does and stop fighting for a dignity that he's handed to somebody else because the dignity that he's given to them is is uh, equal and beautiful in a completely different set of ways that they're going to forego if they try and take a man's job. Yeah. Do the woman's job. Yeah. It needs to get done. By the way, by women. Yeah, and yeah. and on top of that, I think that it, you know, I think one of the maybe the benefits of this conversation and the conversation that's happening is actually the the I want I want I don't want to say elevation in the sense of it like answering to the culture, but the elevation of that kind of work and in in the eyes of the church, and not just and not saying it's denig, not some denigration of quote woman's work, but no, this is very important work, and frankly, it's work that I cannot do. Yeah, and 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 the. And the I'll use the word exaltation, but not in the in the into towards God sense, but in the exaltation of that and saying, no, this kind of ministry is very important and it is being done. And I think one of the sad things about that kind of that middle line between second wave feminism and third wave feminism is that is that any work that does not equal what another guy does is 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 valued less. Yeah, it takes away the distinction, but that's a beautiful and necessary distinction. And an honored one, you know? Okay, so I'll just name drop some stuff because I'm not supposed to, so I'm gonna. Let's let's take a look at the, uh, the the ladies that this place would not exist without, right? And I'm, I'm just gonna limit it to three because I know that I, w- I would forget somebody and that would be terrible. So let's let's just say three. Um, so Dawn's our bookkeeper. She keeps us out of jail, right? She says, hey, what you wanna do and how you wanna distribute money, that's actually illegal, just so you know, <laughs> right? I can't do that job. You can't do that job. We, we already established this. Spreadsheets scare us. We, you know, she, she keeps this place floating. Erica has been our secretary for five years, you know, or whatever it's been. That girl, does, she's, she's kept this place together on the back end of things, wanting no credit for it. And she's going to be mad at me now that I'm shouting her out. You are but so in trouble, I'm dude. I'm in trouble, dude. Like, <laughs> but I'm willing to take the hit because I love her. There you go. <laughs> I love our sisters. But, um, you know, there, who, who else? I mean, we could, we could do one more... Um, I mean, Elise, she, you know, she, here you go. She runs a cleaning crew, among other things that she does here, right? And the cleaning, cleaning crew is a bunch of ladies that are all in that group. They all do, they all serve sacrificially, wonderfully, and they make the place um, safe, comfortable, clean, hospitable, and uh, frankly, just attractive for people to come in and hear the gospel before Sundays. They're removing barriers between people and Christ. And anybody that says that that's less important than what's coming out of the stage on Sunday mornings, I would challenge that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think the, that the mouth can say to the hand, "I have no need of you." Man, you're right. All right, guys. Look, um, we probably just got ourselves in a whole lot of trouble here. So now that we've uh, successfully emptied out our parking lots at churches, I'll just tell you this: the world is still a messed up place. Can I get an amen, Pastor Ben? Amen. But we have a gospel that is perfectly suited to fix it. Can I get an amen, Pastor Kellen? Amen. We'll see you guys next time. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love him because he first loved us. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Hold on. So we just did an outro recording and the voice on that was done by a lady.
Yes. Right? I was thinking that as you Uh-oh. said it. Okay, so now did we did we break rules? Now she just quoted first John four ten. We love or we love him because he first loved us. Was she teaching? She's prophesying. Boom! Give me some time. Yes, my man. Yeah. Broken rules? No broken rules? No. No Perfect. broken rules. Here's all I got to say. 